Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Story Goes. My name is Mike O'Mara and I am totally uh, not uh, a professional uh, in anything except for a couple things that have nothing to do with podcasting. So just a little bit about me is I'm a professional musician. I live outside Chicago and that's about all you need to know. Uh, The other thing you need to know is that um, I know some pretty cool people uh, in my life and in my work and I decided to start this show Um, to uh, tell stories and to have conversations uh, with real people about real things that are really going on uh, in their minds. And that's my computer dinging, if you heard that. Uh, Anyways, this first episode, um, I'm bringing in someone I've known a long time in various forms, and uh, their name is Robin. Robin, say hello to the people in internet land. Hello, people of internet. Yes. Um, And uh, Robin, why don't you tell us... um, a thumbnail sketch of where you are in life. And if you want to be anonymous with some of this, it's uh, totally fine. Or if you want to be completely uh, very, very precise, that's fine too. Just uh, if you were going to give someone a a 30-second thumbnail sketch, like, this is Robin, what would you say? You'd say, I am... I am a mid-twenties hipster know-it-all living in Chicago. Okay. Uh, I'm a musician and a a writer, and I uh, do a lot of other things currently. I am slinging espresso to people so that they don't kill their coworkers. Nectar of the gods. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, just kind of trying to figure it out. And uh, if you were gonna, if you were going to put like a number one on that list of things, what would be like the ideal that you would say I am? I'm a musician. A musician first. Yeah. Um, do you think that that has um, changed over the years? Like, have you felt that for a long time, or? Yeah. Um, I like I can remember being like six, and uh-huh. then people saying, "Well, what do you want to be when you grow up?" Uh-huh. Which is the stupidest question. I hate that question. Yeah. I hated it when I was a kid. Um. Because it just forced this decision when you were like... Sure. When you don't even know like yeah. anything about anything. It's like asking an embryo, do you think you're going to be into right. lizards when you, you were three? Are you going to be successful or <laughs> can we just stop us here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I remember like telling people I wanted to be a singer and mm-hmm. then, and like I got laughed at because I would sing in the washroom. Uh, and then I wanted to be a writer for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to, you know, I think I, I was in this phase where I wanted to be in psychology and sure. you know, like I've there's, there's wide ranging interests, but the thing that's always like remained constant is the music piece of it. Cool. Uh, but that didn't really kick fully into gear until I was about in eighth grade. I was playing piano and I was singing sure. before that, but then eighth grade was where it really kind of settled that like that was something that, that was really important. There's something about puberty and music. <laughs> I mean, but that's, that's around the time I met you too. Oh God. Yeah, no, I was fourteen and that's true. Terrified, so. And now you're twenty something and terrified. I'm twenty four and terrified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> ten years changes nothing. Eh, well, we'll get into we'll we'll get into that. Um, so the premise of this here show is that we are going to tell true um, stories um, as a kind of jumping off point to kind of learn more about um, our shared experience on this here crazy world. Um, So I asked Robin uh, just before we went live here to think about um, a person or an event or just a little story or a memory to kind of jog our conversations here. Um, And hopefully they're going to tell us something that is uh, 
influential to them. So uh, let's get started. So what what are you going to tell me about today, Robin? Um, it's actually it actually kind of ties into what we were just talking about. Where okay, um, like have like has being a musician changed, and has sure. that like the way in which you define that uh, changed? Uh huh. Um. So by the time I was a junior in high school, I was assistant director of the choir and I was arranging and accompanying and I was, you know, I was teaching and doing uh-huh. a lot of stuff. And so people were like, oh, you're going to be a music teacher. And I was like, I guess, I guess. Yeah. And then I went to college. And sure. so the, the piece of this that I'm actually going to get to is that like partially a story about the myth of college and then like the, the ways in which being a musician has changed. For All me. right. Um, because I went into it just desperate for an anchor because college is scary. Uh, and I, you know, dove headfirst into music education. But I actually, mm-hmm. uh, I was talking with a friend of mine recently. And she said, yeah, I remember like in Intro to Music Ed, I remember you saying you weren't sure you wanted to teach. I was right. Like, I do not remember that. It's kind of a big tell like right away. Huh? Well, yeah. And I, I guess it just like never registered for mm. me. Um, but I think there was this part of me throughout college that was disappointed because people tell you, oh, it's the best time of your life. You learn so mm-hmm. much. There's all this, you know, there's all this. Sure. I got that too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and I went to the same place too. So right. it was, I mean, and then that's a tiny like piece of a very large school, but sure. like even culture wise, the place wasn't a fit for me, but I, mm-hmm. I chose it because I didn't, I wasn't ready to leave Chicago or so I thought. Okay. Um, I was too afraid to leave. Okay. And, uh, and, and it had a good music education program. It was right in the middle of the city. It uh-huh. had a lot of opportunities. And mm-hmm. like looking back, I don't like regret it. I just, you know, I, I do think like, well, what other decisions could I have made? Right. Uh, I never found a group of people that I really felt like I fit with. The other, mm. the other, but like I had friends, but they, I never found someone whose brain worked like mine did. Hmm. Um, and so like I did, I don't have a best friend from college hmm. and I, I had a number of roommate situations that were fine and I don't keep in touch with any of them Mm. um yeah it it was it was disappointing and i came out of it like i went through all the student teaching and parts of it i really loved and a lot of parts of it it really didn't sit well with me okay um and then i got to the end of student teaching went to the all-state conference and couldn't figure out why i was getting angry Mm, angry i was getting like sitting in these sessions i was like why why am i here Hmm. so i i finally turned to my friend dan and said i'll meet you at the car and i went to a coffee shop like the only one in peoria It, there's nothing in that it's town. a party town sure <laughs> party <is>. of one <laughs> but i went and i said okay what am i what am i doing and right i kind of realized oh this path that i've been on for four years i don't want to be on it and i've just spent four years doing what people told me i should do hmm. well actually probably more than four years right because all the prep and all the before that right? so more like six years yeah. yeah um six or seven yeah so that was massively terrifying yeah so um Talk about, um, talk about that moment when you're in the coffee shop. So like what, like take us through that, like what happens? Cause I feel like that's, that's gotta be a, a big seminal moment for you, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I can remember like the visual images from it. Sure. Like, give us a visual. Uh, I'm sitting at this like natural wood counter. Like, oh, classy. Yeah. It's a. Uh, Ikea. Yeah, exactly. On okay. a. On a stool, and there is a large uh, taxidermied bear standing on its hind legs over I in mean, the corner to my right. That's Peoria. Yep. And uh, and then there's a window to my left, and okay. I'm looking into this paper cup of some of the crappiest coffee I have ever had. Sounds good. Just kind of staring down yeah. into it. And then it 
it was this odd moment where it kind of like it felt like a weight settled on me and then usually it goes the other way doesn't well, it? and that's but that's the other piece of it that like something underneath it like dissipated huh where it's maybe reality settled on me i, um, I don't know so let's there's a lot to dig into there mm-hmm. um so when the weight as you say kind of settled on you um was that like do you feel like maybe that what were the emotions on involved in that weight is that is that is that anger is that guilt is that no. sadness is uh, it... well i mean it's a, it, obvious it's a mix of things um uh-huh. actually I, I think describing it as a weight uh-huh. is not quite accurate okay. I, I would call it just kind of a a settling a realization yeah i mean it it just that the that i'd been kind of atlasing this thing above my head mm. for six years mm-hmm. and and kind of letting that go was was nice um mm. granted there's there's like sadness and a little bit of regret involved because sure. i've just spent a lot of time doing this thing sure um so there but there was relief too and kind of this like wow i have all these options open to me now sure or you know ostensibly i do right um and obviously there's you know terror <laughs> isn't there always yeah um was there one you said you went down um you went down state to um the music educators mm-hmm. conference and that's kind of where this moment happened um was there one specific thing or uh, something someone said or something someone did that 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 was like was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back or was yeah, it? Yeah, okay. actually there was. Okay. Well, um, tell me about that. So at the time the university was in the midst of trying to find a new, or this particular school in the university was trying to find a new Dean. And so the, mm-hmm. this particular person, one of the candidates was mm-hmm. having a workshop on equity and inclusion in music education. That sounds like a good thing to have a workshop on. Well, it is. Okay. And uh, so myself and the other like 12 music ed majors who went, uh-huh. uh, went to this particular workshop mm-hmm. Um. And I remember sitting in that room in, in all in a row, like in this big circle with my colleagues. And and all through the weekend, I'd kind of been noticing patterns within the culture of music education in the state where you had kind of three, like I, I don't want to typify people, but this is kind of the thought that I had. That's okay. There's three different kinds of music educators okay. in the state. and Chaotic, of, good. Part, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, you know, it, I think music educators are sort of required to develop these particular personalities because of the environment they're in. And it's not who yeah. they are as people, absolutely. but it is just Abs- sort of a product yeah, of the culture. Absolutely. Um, there's the kind of, of music educator who just throws themselves with all enthusiasm into what they're doing. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's, it's like, it's right like four inches from your face. And so it's, like the perky. Yeah. Okay. But, and, and usually those are the people who, when you talk to them outside the classroom or outside the music education sphere, they're very different. Hmm. How are they different? Um, more subdued, maybe sharper. Hmm. Uh, it's it's interesting, and, I, and one of one of my cooperating teachers was something like that, and she's amazing. Mm-hmm. But that was something that I had noticed. Then there's the ones who, if you you know ask them some innocuous question about their program, they immediately get defensive because they're so used to defending what they what they do to right. the administration they have to, yeah. and to parents who don't get it, and right. to right. any number of other things. Um, and then there's the ones who you know, unfortunately don't care or don't care anymore or don't have the energy to. So they got the, they got the will beat out of them Yeah. by years or by exactly experiences. And I, I could see myself kind of going down any one of those paths and I did. And you didn't you know, like it. No. And because my heart wasn't entirely in, in the sort of, the sort of like music ed, uh, oeuvre, mm-hmm. um, I, 
it just, it didn't sit well and I didn't feel like I belonged terribly well. So mm-hmm. back to this particular uh, workshop. Yeah. It's all white people. I mean. Except, except uh, several of my colleagues. Okay. Um, and I just, and what started out as, you know, ostensibly a conversation about equity and inclusion mm-hmm. and being culturally responsive turned mm-hmm. into uh, just kind of your usual discussion on how to, you know, include hip hop in the classroom for oh, no. a unit or yeah. incorporate world music for a unit right. or incorporate, you know, different pieces yeah. from stuff, but really focusing still on Western music right. and on like kids like that Hamilton. They sure do. <laughs> um, Let's use that. <laughs> well, and I think that's been a really nice tool for people, but that's, the, I mean, that's one thing. Yeah. And so there, it's hard to start where kids are at because those materials have not been developed sure. and I think there's, there's not a lot of energy in the state or the funding to do that right now. Right. Um, that, but then the conversation kind of started to go in a different direction mm-hmm. where things got a little more contentious and uh, I, wow. yeah. And, and I, I just remember thinking like, this is not productive. Hmm. And, and there was one particular person who, you know, she sort of test tubed herself and was like, I'm the only like LGBT music teacher in this room. No one understands what, what this is like. Oh like my. you have to include like this particular population. And I'm like, I can speak for myself right. and for a number of people in this room to say that we are on the LGBT spectrum. And right. you're also not even including the people of color right. in this room, in this conversation. Right. Um, and luckily some of them spoke up, but I just, I kind of got into, and, and in a lot of the discussions that I sort of have been a part of about education and about, um, sort of that particular culture. And some of it's the way that the system is, is built. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just, I didn't, I didn't want to sit there being like having to test tube myself in order to make a point. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you yeah. felt like, um, there had to be some kind of, um, exploitative, exploitative, uh, outing for for lack of a better term in yeah. order to just make a point about uh, sort of a broadcasty showboating yeah thing. right right like look at me I'm I'm yeah oppressed and too I'm well right and I'm all for representation and I'm all for sure you know uh, have for having that be a really big part of the conversation because that's that's sure. supposed to be what happens it it's just when it when it becomes more about serving your own hurts right. than it is about serving the hurts of the system. Of the students, especially if you're an educator. Exactly. Right. And, you know, I've met a number of educators who are really phenomenal and to, who do that very well. Sure. But the overall, that combined with some of my other cultural observations and my not really feeling like I fit in at all. Okay. Um, plus that I, the parts of teaching that I that I didn't like were all, teaching in the public school system were, were there's a fair number of them. Hmm. Um, so okay so you go to this thing you're really Mm -hmm. completely turned off by this experience and you say screw it i'm gonna go get a cup of coffee right and so i'm sitting in that cafe and i i think about that session i think about the whole weekend and i think back to student teaching and i i sort of remembered uh like you know going throughout my day at one of my placements and then getting into my car Mm -hmm. and suddenly just feeling awful Hmm. Just like physically sick and like not just tired and exhausted and hmm. like run down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that through the entire eight weeks. Of for, uh, uh, student teaching? 16 weeks, yeah. Um, yeah. So I taught grades five and six for the first eight and then grades nine through 12 for the second eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, the parts of it that I liked were very present but mm-hmm. i couldn't figure out why i felt terrible at mm-hmm. the end of every day and it was because that was literally my body trying to tell me you're not supposed to be doing this or hmm. you're not supposed to be doing it quite like this 
Um, okay. So let's talk about, um, so uh, relating back to that coffee moment, and then also kind of, I want to look a little bit b- before that, mm-hmm. um, and then a little bit after that. Um, you said some interesting things about your earlier days, childhood, high school, making the decision to, uh, or really kind of feeling like the decision was made for you somewhat to go into music education. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you were starting to talk about your story, you talked about some of the feelings involved in that. So you said there was a, there was like a lot of fear um, involved in the decision making and, um, and that um, th- certain things were kind of expected of you um, because of what you liked when you were younger. Um, I'm wondering um, if you think that that could have been, I'm, I'm wondering like, what, what do you think you needed when you were younger that maybe you didn't get or didn't get enough of that could have kind of led you to a place, maybe still in music, maybe not, but a place that didn't lead you to that coffee moment? Or do you think in retrospect that you needed that coffee moment or maybe that was somewhere where you were going to get to anywhere anyway. Wow. Um, I, th- I think when I was younger growing up there, there was just, the, I was so on the, I'm the eldest. Um, okay. and m- my mom came from sort of a background where she started working when she was 12. Okay. Uh, and you know, she didn't have a whole lot growing up. And so, you know, out of, out of a really wonderful place in her heart, she, you know, really wanted all these like really wonderful things for me. But what that sure. translated into was, and she was the eldest mm-hmm. girl as well. So, it, right. so it's like work and don't ask questions and. Yeah, it's, I mean, and there's also like, she came from an immigrant family. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a, and especially within the Dutch Canadian community, there's, mm-hmm. there's sort of this mindset of you do it. You don't cry about it. Sure. You work. Like that's, that think, is what you do. I think there's a lot of that in, um, unfortunately a lot of uh yeah those communities right well because uh, you want to like build a life that is better than the one that you're absolutely the american dream or the canadian dream in her case uh the canadian well okay fine <laughs> uh close enough well, she she lives in the states now the european <laughs> moving west from where you came from dream precisely um i I remember like being really heavily scheduled when i was a kid oh by your parents yeah okay. so i i took dance classes i took uh, piano lessons I took voice lessons I took um you know, you know all kinds of classes never a dull moment no and I I had to, homework to do and I was at this you know Montessori school where like sure. self-direction was a big thing sure. but there was also this element of like you know this excellence that's expected of you um and so going forward I it's you know and then sort of tying it to education there's the whole debate about like crystallized versus growth mindset mm-hmm. and whether or not you praise someone for the product of their efforts or for the effort itself mm-hmm. um and i think looking back like and, and obviously people just that's just kind of what they do but they say oh like you know you're you're so smart or you're right you're so x y and z or you do right you know or this this paper is excellent right and letter grades and and you know teacher evaluations end up weighing heavily on you mm-hmm um, so were grades important to your folks? Yeah. My and, mom checked my grades every day. Oh my God. For all of high school. Jeez. And part of college. So ex- so by extension, did that make grades for you something that was like terrifying? Like you felt like you needed to measure up all the time? Oh yeah. Okay. All the time. I had to, I, I mean, I'm already a perfectionist, so that didn't help. No, um, I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's but it's funny though because school was easy for me. Yeah, sure. It okay. was just the terror of for whatever reason. You're never good enough. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's something I continue to struggle with. Quite so a lot. now you do it to yourself. All the time. Okay. Um, <laughs> so was it do you think it was a systematic thing or was it more a couple of people thing that kind of drove you into the music ed thing? Like, was it a couple teachers and your parents or do you think that it's more like this is just the way that we teach kids these days and we don't give them the opportunity maybe to sit back for a second and think about what they want? Or do you think it's kind of a mix of both? It's a mix of both. Um, my okay. mom definitely wanted me to like choose something that would that I'd be passionate about and that what I would enjoy. That seems good. Yeah, and and you know my mom, you know, I I always have to remind like she was doing the absolute best with what she had going for her and what she had. Sure. Um, sure. I remember expressing a, a desire to go into like neuroscience or something, and she's like, I am concerned that if you don't do music, you're going to be really unhappy. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, which is kind of the opposite of what most parents do. Um, right. Yeah. That's actually very refreshing. Well, yeah. And so I, I'm grateful for that. I think it, but it, there was also this pressure to decide, 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 because by sophomore year, people were asking you, what do you think you're going to major in in college? Right. Um, and the niche that I happened to have within high school was in the choir department and right. was, and that was where most of my friends were. And right. that, and I had a, a really, a, a choir teacher who trusted me with a lot of responsibility. And so it just who, made sense. Yeah. And, and who saw a lot of ability in me. I was given a lot of opportunities really early on, mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of people my age didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, you know, and I, and I developed a pretty excellent basis of musicianship just based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and therefore was given more opportunity to exercise that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was this tacit expectation that because I was already teaching and I was already doing this, that like, People just kind of assumed that that was what I wanted yeah. rather than like asking you the thing. Well, yeah. And I think if they would have asked me, I would have been like, I don't know. Hmm. Um, and how much do you think of that? I don't know. Um, there's there's um, I think that there's no I mean, in my in my personal opinion, I don't know if there's any perfect way in quotes to raise a kid or to um, foster young people. I think that everyone kind of needs to, they find their own path and hopefully they have good um, role models and hopefully they make good choices. But I think a lot of life is, I don't know, right? Yeah, it absolutely Especially is. when you're a teenager and in your 20s and stuff like, I'm not that, I'm, I mean, I'm far enough past my 20s, but like I'm not that far that I don't remember every single day um, wondering if I'm doing the right thing when I was working towards the career I now have. Yeah. Um, and I think if anyone would have would have sat me down and asked me when I was 18 or 20 or 22 or anything around there, like, do you really know what you're doing? I think my answer would have been like, Mer. you yeah. know, I mean, a... <laughs> it's not that I wasn't trying. I was certainly trying my best, but I didn't know if it was the right thing for me to do. And I'm, I'm fascinated by these moments such as the one that you're talking about today where where maybe we have to go through some things that we don't really know if we like or not until that moment happens where we're like, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Like, I don't, this isn't worth it. Or maybe the opposite of that is maybe sometimes we people have an epiphany and they're like, oh my God, I love this, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, someone asked me if I regretted 
going into and what would you music say? education. No, absolutely not. Well, that's good. I ended up, you know, not to toot my own horn too loudly, but I ended up being a better musician than most of the performance majors I knew. Sure, right. Just by virtue of having to learn all these different instruments right. and having to learn not only how to like understand music, but how to help others understand right. it too. Right. There's just there's a, a different wiring of the brain mechanism mm-hmm. that way. Um right. And, and that's translating a lot into the, the music that I do now and into the perspective that I have on music making and on um, just kind of the way in which people interact with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm grateful for the education piece of it. I'm grateful for the music piece of it. I do think I would have come to some kind of moment like that at some point. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing what I would have been doing in some alternate universe. Right. I can't, I can't make that. Right. distinction and right. i don't really have any wish to because that's just a lot of energy spent thinking of something that has not happened or couldn't right exactly know? i mean i'm and and so but it, but it's funny though because after that moment i ended up back in this space of i don't know mm-hmm. and I, Ooh, okay yeah so let's so let's talk about now <laughs> post coffee <laughs> post crappy pure peoria coffee so you've had this moment mm-hmm. and you're like i don't want to I don't want to do this anymore, at least not this way. Yeah. Um, what is the immediate aftermath of that? And then how, take me from that moment to kind of your mindset now. So you just said, oh, I'm kind of back at I don't know. So is it a different kind of I don't know? Or do you feel like you're back in the, like, are you being pulled back out to sea in the same I don't know? Is it all the same? Or is it like a different style, flavor of, of uh, existential angst <laughs> now in your mid-20s? Uh, yes. That was a sh- very short answer <laughs> to a very long question. So, uh, so uh, back to the immediate aftermath. So post-coffee, sure. what happens? Post-coffee, um, I, well, I was in the middle of developing and writing this show uh, with a number of my colleagues, which I believe you also saw. I did. Um, so that happened, and that was a really f- sort of formative experience and very different from what I would have been going on uh, previously because I'd not had a lot of opportunities to perform or to write, and so I got to do both. Um, at least like not, not within my, like my college experience. I'd had mm-hmm. opportunities to do that elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think, I think I'd either just finished music directing something at second city. So it, there was sort of this, this thing where I was starting to explore other ways that my abilities could be used. Um, so the, that particular quarter term ended, okay. um, spring break happened and then spring quarter, I basically was just getting like the rest of my requirements out of the way. I yeah. waited to the last minute to do my stats class. Sure. Um, and I decided to take black and white film photography just kind of on a whim. And I ended up loving it. Oh. Um, which is, you know, got me into photography now, which is I, which I really enjoy and actually should get back to. Um, but it was really just sort of this, like the, that last quarter felt like the last, uh, like sandbar before you hit open ocean. Okay. Um, so the the year after that, I I moved out of my hometown Evanston, okay, and I moved into Chicago. I mm-hmm. uh, was living on my own. I think at at one point, if you count like being a freelance photographer and musician, I had like five or six jobs all at the same time within sure. that last year. Okay, did um, you like that? No. Okay. No, I did not. <laughs> well, so the thing is, I think that being busy was was nice because it didn't give me the time to really have those. Mm-hmm existential moments and then you can't break down if you're uh, on the on the clock i mean you can i mean (laughs) and i did (laughs) well we'll talk about that in a second yeah and it's so it was just i was just busy and you know a a lot of those like really low moments happened and a lot of really cool things happened um i definitely changed a lot um uh that was that was a telling thing you just said to get how did you give me one way you changed um oh boy just 
I'm a lot more aware of my experience and like like I'm, in the moment you mean yeah um just sort of you know if you are familiar with like mindfulness just kind of the, oh the, am I the process of yeah the process of sort of like noticing oh I'm feeling this thing where mm-hmm. is that coming from mm-hmm. um so things like that and and I I learned a lot about like the ways in which I prefer to interact with people and the kinds of people I want to be around how is that um well, I actually, I had a friend for about a year who it turned out was like all but using me and is kind of a sociopath. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, and, and so they, the parts of me that mirrored their experience and that mirrored who they were mm-hmm. were the parts that mattered. Mm. And like they, they, there was not really a place for me in their life. Mm-hmm. It, I was just this, this. A prop? Yeah, I was this thing that they could play shaman to and dispense advice and then you know, be on their merry way. Whereas I'm trying to like create a, a an equitable relationship. And sure. clearly that was not the case. Um, How, was there one particular th- moment? Was there a coffee moment with that person too? Yes, absolutely. Uh, okay. I was, so I moved into the apartment, they left the country. And so I moved into the apartment they had been living in. Okay. Um, and they had gotten rid of most of their stuff. Okay. And the stuff that was left was like sketchbooks and like notebooks and stuff that they and had And it all said Robin with stink lines on it. That's how you knew. Well, Kind of. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So most of that stuff uh, was put into a a suitcase in the kitchen, and I believe it's still there. Because they didn't leave a whole lot of stuff behind, and that was just the stuff that they did want to keep. Okay. Um, That's weirdly poetic to leave a suitcase of your life in the kitchen. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Like leftovers. Well, but they had left their journals. That's not a thing to leave. No, but instead of leaving it in the suitcase, they left it on the bottom shelf of the bookcase in my living room. Open? No, but where it could be easily found and reached. Mm. So I was reaching for, I believe, a volume of Calvin and Hobbes that I knew was on the bottom shelf. Something that should be open. Yes, and I, I wasn't paying attention, so I grabbed this other book and I opened it, and I opened it directly to a set of pages that were written about me. Oh, no. Um, and it, I should say that I was very, very, very briefly like involved with this person for okay. like three weeks. All right. But in that... But this thing was written during that time, and they had written this thing where I was very blatantly physically objectified, Uh-oh. like in a very detailed and kind of negative way. Um, Ew. Yeah, it was it exactly. And why write that down? Because that's who this person is. Okay. They they like to do things for the shock value, which is why I'm pretty sure they left those. They wanted you to find there. Oh yeah, they absolutely did. Did they leave like a sticky note hanging out <laughs> so you could go right to it? No, like. but but knowing how they work, they they like pushing things to the limits. I've heard numerous stories about the ways in which they've interacted with other people Gross. where like they told one person like, I don't want to be your friend anymore and that devastated her. And that's like, like second grade. And they're like, just kidding, I don't mean it. And it was... And that's, then that's very abusive. This Well, it is. And this, other per- and this person also said to this other friend, like, I find your lack of empathy disgusting, like, in front of a group of other people. Is this person Emperor Palpatine or something? Like, <laughs> or Darth Vader? <laughs> no, Darth Vader has a spark of good in him. Uh, that's true. <laughs> no, so... I mean, and a cool cape. Do they have a cool cape? They have been known to wear things Oh, my like God. That. I was just joking. No, I'm serious. <laughs> it's kind of lame, actually. Well, and they just, they have this very quasi-spiritual outlook on the world, which really translates into this charisma that is often used to charm and to rope people into So, stuff. like a cult leader. Exactly. Got it. Actually, I'm, yeah. And, and just very, very charismatic and... 
most sociopaths are. Well, and as an empathetic person, I am prime target. Yeah. But, you know, again, something I learned from. So, but I found these, these journals and, uh, and there were a number of other pages written about me that detailed just like stuff they didn't like about me or stuff that they like, like weird questions that they had or like fears they had related to me. You. Uh, and so I finally like, I, I was just like, F this. And I, I wrote them a, a letter that was just like, I've, I've never done something like that. Okay. And I said, I never want to speak to you again. And I nice. never want to hear. And I cut them out of my life. I just. That seems healthy. Well, it is. And then I, I received a reply. Oh, no. In which they. Baby uh, come back. Was it that? Kind of. It was like, it was sort of, they said they were sorry, but it was clearly like. It, yeah, it, hmm. it was not genuine. And they hmm. spent like half the letter, like sharing, like some of the journaling that they had done about about this this isn't good no and so but that was sort of the watershed moment with with this particular friend and so i just it it just it kind of alerted me to um the ways in which i open myself to other people mm-hmm. and that's i mean and obviously like there's different levels of that with with everybody that mm-hmm. you're around mm-hmm. um but you know you learn who your real friends are after college because you don't keep in touch with everybody right yeah um, it's a it's a it's a drastic change when you're not you know forced in quotes, to be in the same places at the same yeah. times as people, you realize who really cares about you because they'll take the time to be with you. Exactly. Well, and, and the same can be said for romantic relationships too, where yeah. I'm in a really wonderful and like and healthy relationship that you know continues to grow, and and that that in itself has been a real learning experience in a lot of ways too. So you said um, that you are an empathetic person and yeah. that gets you in trouble sometimes. Yes. Um, do you think that there is an element of being an empathetic person where you're a little bit kind of like addicted to other people's um, problems? Like no. you No? Okay. No, I don't find that's the case because I tend to take them on. Like I Okay. Like I I tend to like uh, You make them your problem. Kind of. Not Yes and no. It's it's more just that the, it is a it is a presence in my head, and if I'm not careful to separate that from my own stuff, it just grows into this. Like, um, you know, I'm also you know, I I do have an anxi- an anxiety disorder, and so I I tend to worry about other people a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, like, and, and always about like their well being and and stuff like that. You know, and obviously irrational worry factors into it too. But but most of the time, it's just I I just want the people important to be, be you know happy and healthy and alive (laughs) (laughs) alive is good um are you okay uh talking a little bit about anxiety and things like that yeah absolutely okay so let's get into that a little bit um how does your um anxiety present itself like do you have like um regular panic attacks or um not regular ones but i do there is a panic element to it okay um when did these start well, depends on the panic attack because mm. uh, I'm I'm a survivor of sexual assault, and so mm-hmm. I I've had panic attacks related to that. Sure. Um, and I have also had them where I've started in sort of this fear spiral, which is often like related to like existential stuff or like you know any number of other things, and so there's there's just a panic element, whether or not it's rational. It just doesn't matter be and and there is sort of an obsessive compulsive element to mm-hmm. my my like ruminative mm-hmm. thought cycles and mm-hmm. so it's taken a lot of work to like 
work on that and mm-hmm. I'm still doing that because it's it's so hard to undo those patterns. Yeah, well that's great that you're doing work on it. It's it's a difficult thing to uh to kind of face. Um, yeah. And I think that maybe the the bravest thing that we can do uh, as human beings is to um admit when we're scared mm-hmm. and um and to to get up every day and to face those things. Yeah. Um, while admitting them instead of running from them or even worse, doing self-destructive things to avoid sure. um, seeing them, I think is is what bravery is. So yeah. I commend you for doing that. Thank you. I mean, um, I've, to, be, to be fair, I've been through all those phases too. Um, and <laughs> any of us that deal with this stuff has. Yeah. So I mean, and it's it's one of those things where like it's also alerted me to the fact that like I have I find it easier to admit that I'm afraid than it is mm-hmm. for me to admit that I'm angry. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit, um, because anger, um, of course, is another one of those things where, like, it's not something to be, um, to accuse people as uh, bad people for having, and I think in our culture, especially in Western culture, we kind of, we filter out the things, or we try to filter out the things, uh, at least in public, that are deemed, you know, unsanitary, or yeah. You know, in 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 quotes, bad, right? Yeah. So it's okay to be um, joyful all the time because people can deal with that. People mm-hmm. know how to deal with happiness, right? It's okay to be just okay. It's not that okay to be sad for too long. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not okay to be seen as aggressive, especially if you appear um, to be a female gendered person. You're never al- say, you're yeah. never allowed to be angry, right? Well, and that stuff is like drilled into you in sort of this like subconscious way so I and, and i think not even subconsciously right like for, mm-hmm. if you look at like little kids and how um little kids are kind of policed by adults on playgrounds oh, yeah. right oh, i wasn't allowed to be angry right you're not allowed right and so i that's something i like i'm i'm like actively working on is like okay recognizing when i'm angry and how i express that mm-hmm. uh and when mm-hmm. um so tell me about the time that you expressed anger Oh, uh, <laughs> actually, so, um, my relationship with my parents has changed pretty drastically in the last few months Okay, where it was, you know, all through college, like it was sort of this, you know, it's all about the process of individuation and wanting to like sort of pull away from them. Sure. Uh, but I, I was, I was, I think we'd seen a show or had dinner or something mm-hmm. and my brother was also there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt myself getting more and more resentful. Of your parents? Yeah. Okay. And and I couldn't for and and it and it was it was coming out sideways. I was actually I was not behaving. I was not behaving very kindly. You were um, venting it in the wrong places. Kind of not even venting, just kind of it. It just kind of came out sideways and like in the tone that I would use okay. or in you know very short answers. So you're being like snippy. Yeah, okay. basically. Um, which it, it takes a lot for me to get there. Uh, okay. So I finally my mom got mad, and so she calls me later. And I and my dad's also on the phone, and so she she says her piece, and I said, "Look, uh, I'm actually realizing that this has more to do with I feel like you don't see me as a person. Hmm. Um, like you're seeing the version of me that I was when I was 16, mm-hmm. um, or you know even 18, mm-hmm. and that you're like I don't remember the last time you you asked me like how I'm doing or what's what's going on with me, right? Without assuming you already know, right?" Um, and you're not seeing the person in front of you. And it's, it's just clear to me that like the, the, like the schema of who I am in your head is more important than the person who is growing and changing and mm-hmm. in front of you. Um, so I finally, like, and, and that's like a very short paraphrase of what I said, but 
What did they do? Well, because I also cited this one thing where, um, you know, I, I I was yelled at a couple of times when I was hanging out with them. Not yelled at, but like reprimanded for, for talking, quote, too much about myself. Um, to them? Yeah. And uh, and I realized it was I, I was doing that because I felt invisible and because I, I didn't feel like it, my stuff mattered. Sure. And like what they wanted and what they thought took precedence. Sure. Um, and some of that's probably like, you know, my playing into a certain dynamic, which, you know, it happens. Um, but I cited that and I said, and since then I have really, I've really pulled back mm-hmm. and it's, and it's maybe that's why it's made it so apparent to me that like you have a very specific idea of me and, mm-hmm. and that that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, so I, I said, I said all that stuff. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and was I was that a long time coming. Have you never like really oh, yeah. said that? But, okay. It, well, but it didn't like come fully into words until then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like, I'm almost 24. It's been mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was just this pause. Sure. Right. <laughs> I'm like sitting there like on my bed, on the phone. I'm just like, Oh yeah. What have I can done? I, can I swear? Like, yeah, you can swear. Dude, all you want. Oh shit. <laughs> what, what have I just, right. What have I just said? Right. And then I hear my dad go, Oh, Oh Wow. And I was like, what? He goes, no, I totally see it. I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Wow. Good dad. And my mom was silent for a bit. And then she, she said something very similar. And I was like, oh. Wow. So that's. That's pretty big of them. Well, it is. And, and it shows that, like, they've also been changing. They've grown too. too. Yeah. yeah. And so. So. And, and obviously with family, it's a little easier to express anger because, like. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Well. <laughs> I find that with my family, it's a little easier to okay, express anger than, well, that's I, good. than I have with, with my friends. Or, or Is that because you're scared of what your friends oh, are going to do? Oh, I'm terrified. Okay. Uh, you know, like, I mean, I, I could, like, cite abandonment issues, but it's really just, like, I don't want to destroy this relationship. Hmm. Um, so do you think that that... And, and not that I would, because often the things I'm mad about are perfectly sure. F- fine. Sure. Um, but I just like, well, we're not speaking rationally here. We're speaking of what our feelings do, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, do you think that that may be the, that fear of wanting to not destroy what you've got with your friends? Do you think that really that may speak to a pretty solid relationship in a weird way that you have with your parents? Because if you don't have that fear with your parents, if you can tell them what you think, you must in some way know that they're going to be around. Yeah, exactly. So for me, so that ties into like trust issues. Yeah. Which I am, yet another thing I'm actively working on. How are you working on it? Um, again, mindfulness really kind of factors into it, but mm-hmm. it's also just kind of the self-talk where like the trust issues really factor into self-worth mm-hmm. where it, it has less to do with trusting the other person than it mm-hmm. does trusting that I am worth mm-hmm. being around. Mm-hmm. I'm getting like kind of emotional here, but like. It's the trust. Yeah. No, it's the, it's, it's trusting that I am worthy of love, connection, belonging. And you didn't feel that until recently? I'm starting to, um, you know, it, it it goes in cycles. What helps you to feel that you are? I'm still figuring that out. Okay. Um, definitely like every now, you know, I, I don't tend to solicit it. Um, but like, you know, just hearing from my friends, Hey, I appreciate this thing or like, or, or things like that. Um, but it's also just the the small moments of relationship that show like this person showing up for me. Sure, in a, when you need them. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's and it's trusting that too. Mm-hmm. 
And that could be a scary thing, right? Like, when, Oh, it's massively vulnerable. So when people do, even if you don't ask for it, right? If people f- see that you're in a place of need, mm-hmm. whether you just need someone to show up physically or maybe you just need them to check in with you or whatever. Yeah, it's um, the checking in is actually the thing that I think, like, you know, I, I'm often kind of... Uh, angry that like words matter so much to me because action speaks infinitely louder as you know but at i the mean same it's time, the saying yeah but like but there know. is but there is value to um just saying hey how are you doing i mean and and like i while i can see that the you know, tried and true statement about action speaking louder i can see where that is true mm-hmm. um in a lot of situations i think that that kind of trivializes the importance of someone showing up in whatever way they can, mm-hmm. even when they can't, like sometimes you can't be there physically, but if you check in with someone yeah. in the middle of your workday and just say, hey, I'm thinking of you, or hey, how are you doing? Or hey, nice day, right? Or anything stupid like that. Sure. That can mean so much, even if you can't. Like, yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be anything heavy either, right. but I think, you know, it's it's learning to take all of that in. Right. Um, and if you're used to, you know, feeling defensive or feeling hypervigilant and, and wondering you know, when someone's going to, I mean, and this, and this speaks more to the way that I grew up than to anything else, but like wondering when someone's going to explode at you for something or, Ooh. or wondering whether or not they're going to threaten to withdraw support of some kind mm. or when, or whether or not they're going to say, yeah, you're not worth this kind of time. Yeah. You know, which are all the things that I've heard, but that's the stuff that you take in when you're younger and it takes Absolutely. a long time to like. Uh, so do you think, so So nowadays when you when you start a new friendship or if you're in a relationship or any kind of relationship, do, are you kind of scared that that person's going to bolt? Do you think like they're going to like, you're going to wake up one day and they're going to be like, forget this and like just leave? Yes. And that has far more to do with my own self-worth than it does with, with them as a person. Sure. Um. Are there you know, certain things that your your head tells yourself? Oh yeah, yeah. There's, uh, <laughs> it's like it's like living with with two different people inside your head. Two different people. Well, yeah. It's 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 the part of you that it's. I mean, it's. I mean, everyone has that voice where it's like you're not good enough. You're not blank, 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 Some blank. Some of enough. us stronger than others. Yeah, exactly. Know. And and you know, it it's stronger sometimes than others, but it's. You know, it's 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 constant work to believe that, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm getting way better at it. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's um. It's it's definitely really difficult, and brain chemistry is a weird thing. Sure is. Um, I you know it's actually something I've really been thinking about a lot recently because I've I've struggled with depression before, mm-hmm. and I've I struggle with anxiety mm-hmm. and with with panic and with you know any no, number of other things. Struggle um, with life. <laughs> sure, but I've but I've also like been diagnosed with a disorder called PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Okay. So it's like everything you've ever heard about PMS. I've heard like, plenty. Time, right. <laughs> <laughs> times like a billion, but mostly manifesting in the emotional side. Oh, really? Yeah. So ex- explain if you don't mind. Not at all. Um, like I, and full disclosure here, I'm a straight, boring, white male. So like <laughs> I feel like I everything we speak about for the next maybe three minutes on this is uh, completely out of my realm. So I'm going to shut up, but I'm going to start this by saying, um, please give us a little, like how does, how does that particular disorder manifest itself in a way that makes it different from quote unquote really bad PMS? Um, 
so I think the the clinical definition and some and you know I I may be very heavily paraphrasing this is that the you know so so PMS is like before someone's period starts yeah. they you know they experience you know physical symptoms sure. headaches cramps sure. whatever surge um, of hormones makes people sure yeah. and and mood swings is a part of that right so for for me personally and I don't you know everyone's experience is different but for sure. for me personally PMDD manifests as um just sort of what I, I explained it the other day is like being a werewolf. Oh my. Yeah. Well, that part sounds bitching. <laughs> One would think so. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's being like an emotional werewolf where oh. like every, every insecurity you have manifests itself and like, you know, and it, and what it does is it amplifies anything you're already struggling with. Okay. Um, so sometimes that can be trust issues and sometimes that can be, uh, body image and sometimes mm. that like and anxiety plays a part in that but so does anger mm-hmm. and so you know and, and every day is different and mm. every cycle is different mm. um and, but the the thing though and so sometimes pmdd gets um misdiagnosed as depression oh okay so it gets else. like super serious sure i mean and it's it the definition is that like it, it, it interferes with, with your, your normal with your work life with your relationships it's not just like oh man like i'm having these crazy mood swings it's like i feel like I'm not, yeah. not out of control, but that's the closest right. thing I can think of. Right. Um, it's it's like having your rational, well-adjusted adult self okay. in a constant cage match with every animalistic, like panicky, horrible thing that you know how to combat when you're yeah. not in that space. Yeah. Fighting with each other constantly, and yeah. it's exhausting. And the yeah. thing is, I know it's not me as a person. It's literally sure. just my brain chemistry doing stupid shit. Sure, sure. But it's it's hard when it's, when it feels that big and that real. Sure. Um, and so is it something you said that every cycle is different. So it's, is it pretty much like every month you're like, Oh God, here, here it comes. Absolutely. And you don't know whether like for a week you're going to be crazy. (laughs) Well, I do know. And, and the thing is it's, it's often exacerbated by like your particular circumstances. So I've been unemployed for two months and I was in a horrible job before that. So So the last, it's, it's made it really hard. And, and unfortunately, like I, I also feel um, sort of a, a a guilt or a sense of shame around like quote burdening other people, and that's mm-hmm. something I've really had to work with, and I'm continuing to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, so like one cycle may be really really anxious, mm-hmm. one I may be really sad, mm-hmm. and one I may be really angry, and mm-hmm. and often and it's funny because one thing I've sort of realized in going through this is that. You know, you may be worrying about something or you may be angry with someone or mm-hmm. you, you know, you may have sort of these latent issues that you're continuing to work through and do, you know, and doing a good job of doing so. Um, I sound like I'm defending myself, but it's also, it kind of, I, I kind of feel like I have to sometimes. Um, Interesting. Be, because this disorder, unfortunately, once your period starts, it goes away. So right. you look and feel like a crazy person hmm. because suddenly you're fine. Right. Okay. So, so it's, and it's usually isolating because then people don't believe you. Like which which you was you? Exactly. Mm. Well, it's not not even that because because both are. It's it's more just Doctor Jekyll Mister Hyde thing. Kind of. It's it's more it, it it's just that like, unfortunately, it has way more to do with people's unwillingness to really look at women's health issues, <laughs> um, and really sort of be- no. believe them with it. <laughs> Well, and and believing them when they say, "Hey, I'm 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 in pain, or right. I'm feeling this thing," right. but it stops when I you know get my period. Like it's wow, yeah, 
And, and so, and, and that it just, there's just a lot to it that, you know, and, and there's a lot of shame around it too, because you, you sit there feeling like your stuff isn't real. Hmm. Um, and, and the thing about it isn't the thing I'm discovering is that like, if I'm feeling angry, that anger is not rooted on anything. It just latches onto whatever happens to be sure. happening sure. or anxiety. And like, and I already have anxiety disorder, but I actually keep it under control pretty well. But mm-hmm. when I'm in this space, it latches onto literally Everything. whatever it can find. Right, right. And then I have to like spend a lot of energy sifting through. Nope, you don't need to worry about that. Nope, you don't need to worry about that. Nope. And so it just it it compounds and it gets exhausting. Wow. Yeah. Um, that sounds exhausting. It have, is. Have you ever, or has any doctor or um, anyone ever discussed maybe? Because I know that there are certain kinds of birth control and things like that that basically stop people's periods so i don't know if you've sure. ever thought about doing that so i i have a copper iud okay because i was on hormonal birth, birth control a number of years ago it and not it, misfired it, it messed with me okay. um it, in conjunction with whatever antidepressant i was on at the time sure sure. Be in a pretty sure, dark space. sure um so the one that i have means no babies for 10 years and i get another one and have no more babies for another 10 years and then another 10 years <laughs> and then i never have babies. then you're ever. probably not gonna need to worry about it after no that. exactly um it, has that helped at all? No. No, okay. I, because it's not a hormonal thing. It's just, so it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't. It's just copper ions, basically. Yeah. Um, but the there is, so sometimes people will prescribe like uh, really like low dosages of antidepressants just for those particular days. Just for that, yeah. Um, but it, but my my particular doctor was like, well, that's kind of like putting a, a Band-Aid on something as opposed to addressing the symptoms, mm. which... Um, in, in some other cases, you can take uh, 100 milligrams of progesterone because mm-hmm. in this particular phase of the cycle, there's less of that. Mm-hmm. And progesterone has a calming effect and mm-hmm. has you know, all this stuff. However, the one caveat with that is that, the, is that progesterone is also related to cortisol. Mm, stress hormone. Exactly. So if, and I can't remember which one it is, if one is like metabolized more, mm-hmm. You end up with a buildup of cortisol. Great, sounds so it, awesome. Well, yeah, and so you, it's you're continually playing with it, and you know, modern medicine is really just a very, very inexact game of darts in a Pretty lot of much. ways. And for some people, medication really helps, and like I'm not above reconsidering that, but it's also like, you know, I kind of want to want to look at all all of my options too. Sure, sure. So, I think the you know I didn't go into. I, this show, and I don't go into these interviews thinking of a like a specific endpoint or a specific like I'm trying to proselytize this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, in in thinking back into what we've been talking about today, I think um, some themes are coming up for me, and you can jump in and tell me if I'm off base on this. Sure. But it seems to me like we've been talking a lot about um, kind of like insightful moments mm-hmm. and the buildup of energy that leads to those moments. Yep. And then the kind of um, backlash, if you want to call it that, or the aftermath of those moments mm-hmm. and what we make of the things that we go through. And it seems to me like over the past hour, we've talked about how a lot of times like you found yourself in this situation that was untenable for whatever reason mm-hmm. and you needed to do something yeah uh, but you didn't know what mm-hmm. and you kind of still don't know what yeah but you're trying it's the constant process of dealing with the unknown right dealing and, with what you have going for you and you have all these things um that i think a negative 
viewpoint would say are against you in quotes, sure. right? Like you've said, you know, you've, you've talked about the, the disorders and the, the, the past with depression, the past with uh, trauma and assault and, um, sure. you know. But none of that stuff that like, I, it, I think it's the difference between uh, defining it as something you deal with and defining it as you as a person. Right. So this is my point that I'm, that I'm, that I'm getting to is that, um, first of all, again, I want to say, I think that you're doing a great job because you're trying. Thanks. Right. And I think that maybe if we have a theme for today, the theme for me, it, at least has been, you know, it, the important thing is not having the perfect life or the perfect path or the pe- perfect story. I think that doesn't exist. I think the thing that no. matters is that we keep trying that we. Yeah. Well, and also realizing that none of it's linear. Right. Especially right. if you're dealing with mental illness, like it's a, it's a, it's a thing that you deal with your whole life. Right, right. Um, so let's talk about, uh, as we're going to close this out maybe in the next 10 minutes or so, because mm-hmm. uh, I know you need to go. You're a busy person. Um, but I want to um, close with a couple of uh, questions for you. Sure. And I want to talk about those before we leave. Um, number one is... And I know that this is kind of cliche, but I think for you, it might be very, very interesting given all the things that you went through in this time time period of life. So mm-hmm. if you could take yourself back, if you could go back to the that coffee moment. So let's, so how many years ago is this now? Uh, this was January of 2016. So two years. Okay. So it's two years ago now. If you, if you were in that coffee shop, mm-hmm. feeling down, looking into the depths of terrible coffee <laughs> with the That's bear bear itself. looking bear <laughs> looking over you um, a weird bear. um and current you walked in the door uh-huh. um and saw you looking obviously down what would you tell that person um knowing what you know now and what you're going to go through in the in the in the two years between then and now what do you think that person might need to hear you're doing the right thing and you don't have to know everything is that a question that you still yeah have all the to, time have to tell yourself every day yeah and it's it's one of those things where you, know, you wonder if you're doing the right thing or if you know x y and z would be the right thing in the future and ultimately it's just you all you can do is the next right thing mm-hmm. um that was actually advice that the general director of my college radio station gave me when I was a freshman, and I've never forgotten it. It's pretty good advice. Yeah. Um, she, she, I mean, she said that to me at some point, and I was like, whoa, okay. And I've really sort of held on to that. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think before that? What, like, what was the like, life philosophy? I, I don't know. I think I just, you know, being paralyzed by indecision. Like, and, and obviously, it's kind of hard to know what the right thing is sometimes, right. but, right. you know, I... Sometimes you do have to go on intuition and you do just kind of have to pick one. So, so do you believe that we all decide our own right? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And, and ultimately like you're, you're going to get to where you need to go. Not in a predestined kind of way. It's just that, you know, this is, boy, this is going to sound cliche. Wherever you go, there you are. Sure. Um, and it's, I, I think well, another thing, so with the head of my music ed program when I was, uh, I was teaching in CPS my junior year, mm-hmm. I think she noticed that I was, I was pretty perfectionistic and she mm-hmm. just, she just turns to me, she goes, you have my permission to make mistakes. And I was like, oh. Isn't that great? 
Yeah. It's a great thing. Well, I keep having to tell myself that, but you know, sometimes it's less effective when you tell yourself that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, again, that yeah. goes back to what we were talking about before. When, when the right people in the right moment show up in the right way, yeah. that is profound, right? Well, and, and when people continue to show up too, mm-hmm. um, which, which manifests from different people in different ways, like mm-hmm. we said. Um, so it's, it's just kind of learning that like, I'm not going to be perfect at say expressing anger or mm-hmm. at owning what I'm feeling or at mm-hmm. playing this damn Beethoven sonata. Like it, it's not, it's you're, tough. It, it's not linear and it's going, it's just, it practice. <laughs> Yeah. Unfortunately. Right. And fortunately, like it's, it's to say that anything's a one and done is, is a complete, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it, right. Nothing is one and done. It's, it's everything is a continuous practice. Right. Okay. So last question then, mm-hmm. um, what gets you up in the morning? Oh shit. Shit uh, gets you up in the morning? <laughs> well, sometimes I guess. <laughs> I mean, the, when nature calls, yeah. uh, <laughs> Um, uh, I'm gonna bring it to three things. Okay. Um, the Holy Trinity. Sure. If you want to call it that. <laughs> the, uh, so one is, is the, the people closest to me. So that okay. being my, my partner and my close friends and my family. Okay. Um, I don't know. It, it, there's just you're loved it's it's that thing the knowledge that you matter to people that you matter and that no matter where you're at mm-hmm. you still matter mm-hmm. and the practice of remembering that okay um, which is difficult but worth it um music obviously okay which you know you go through periods of like not doing it a whole lot for whatever reason or um really hating it for whatever reason or really loving it and just sure. it's still there mm-hmm. it's a constant and that's that's something they can't take away from you. So, no. Um, and the third is that I have that day in the first place. Hmm. So, looking at every moment you're given as truly something that you are given. Yeah, and that you have a chance, like you do have a choice, and that you you can work towards being better at something, or that you can you know make amends for something that you that you said or that you did or that you can you know own your boundaries or own mm-hmm. your anger that you do have another chance to do that mm-hmm. um that you know i could be dead tomorrow i, I, I that's not my intention that's not hope for no but you know there was a point in my life when that could have been true sure and so since then i i kind of i think like okay every every single day that i lived past that mm-hmm. i have another one after that Right. And sure, I'm going to die at some point, but like until then, you sure. do the next right thing with the day that's right in front of you. Right. So, like we were talking about uh, today, maybe we don't want to wish for the quote unquote perfect life because maybe if we did have a perfect life, we wouldn't have a purpose to have another day, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, the... I'm again, not linear at all. Right. Um, I, but it's <laughs> my best friend described it once as like, Sort of like the stock market where like, you know, there's, there's rises and dips and then there's setbacks and then there's the moments when their stuff really sucks, but the general trend is upward. Right. I love it. That's a, that's a great, that's a great place to uh, stop for this first interview. So 
uh, Robin, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having I me. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. And I'll be back with another interview. Uh, I don't know. Whenever I put it online. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Take care, folks. And remember, it's all about trying, as we've learned today. All right. See you next time.